This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be the child of two Kenyan parents who traveled around the world for work? In this episode, Jeff shares with us his experiences of growing up as a black third culture kid and how that shaped both his understanding of racism and his attitude towards racism. I'm Fumi, this is Hashtag Our Racism, and this is the story of Jeff. Jeff is a third culture kid, or a kid who didn't grow up in one place, but instead grew up in wherever his parents' work took him. Amongst others, he lived in Iran, the Netherlands, and Japan. And, like many third culture kids, Jeff grew up feeling like he doesn't belong anywhere. So I was born in Japan, 1992, and only up until the age of 10 or 11 did I realize that I wasn't home or I haven't been home because, first of all, didn't matter which country it was outside Kenya, but People didn't look like me. We didn't speak the same languages. So growing up, I felt out of place, not because of who I was, but it's just I wasn't like everybody else. I used to be so shy because of how out of place I would feel. This is not my country. I'm not home. So I didn't feel like I could be my natural self. I had to follow suit of what people would do. But as soon as I made like a friend, someone who... I was able to be normal. And that's why I like to say I don't identify myself between a borderline in a country. I identify myself with my friends and my people. Like, they're the ones who allow me to be me. Because Jeff felt like the odd one out, he says it's difficult for him to pinpoint why he was sometimes perceived and treated differently. But some incidents stand out for him more than others. One of them happened in Kijkdown, a suburb in The Hague, a city in the Netherlands. He says he was often made conscious of being black particularly in association with a specific character from a Dutch tradition. We were living in Den Haag, close to the beach, a place called Kijkdown, very chill area. African population is like, you'll be surprised to see another African-American or just black person. Although with the small communities you're, you're, you're into, you know where they are, but it's just randomly on the streets is not that often. So my experience from Holland is that It's funny because when it was happening, I didn't understand it. Playing at the park with kids, they'll be like, yeah, pick the dark one. But I didn't take that as a offense or anything because the way they used terms or the way they said things wasn't necessarily harsh or mean, but they categorized me as the dark one. Not that it was bullying, but still that was like the lowest form that I could recognize. And then it just developed. And the tricky thing with Holland is that they have a tradition, a celebration, Sinterklaas, on the 5th of December. And it revolves all around Zwarte Piet, Black Piet, who helped Sinterklaas bring stuff. So it was, it's a racist tradition, although you're just watching it and you're watching the people. They're celebrating the fun aspect of it and not the racism. So I remember one time I was going to a supermarket with my friend. And a little kid just pointed at me and said, Mama, Mama, Zwarte Piet. Now, 
can I classify that as racism? It's a kid who has been brought up with a, like a fairy tale story to the, the tra- I don't know how it started in Holland, but it's their tradition. Right now they have color peats where there's purple and pink and all those like, but Zwarte Piet was like slaves who used to help Sinterklaas bring kid, kids gifts and all that. So when I was called that, I wasn't annoyed. I just didn't know how to feel because of who it came from. It was a child who should not have any hatreds or burden all, like, they, they can't burden all of that since they're, they're innocent. So that situation, it was tricky because it's a tradition in Holland, but people have been going against it of late. But it was just like such situations is what I went through. It wasn't that I was targeted. It was never, from my recollection, I was never like called the N-word, not, never like that. It was just associations with Zwarte Piet mostly and then the color of my tone. In addition to his experiences in the Netherlands, Jeff also recalls his years in an all-boys international school in Japan where his classmates constantly tokenized his blackness. The school was predominantly Asian. There was only two black people in the whole of the high school. I just came in fresh. And the first thing people were trying to see, I don't know if it was like testing or they just wanted to flex or whatever. They asked me, can I say the N-word around you? So many people. And it comes to a point where you're defending something to a whole system that doesn't know what, what, like what the whole issue is. They hear it or they've learned it from songs not history so they've taken the popular side of it the funk and the the fun way of saying it and that's how they're expressing themselves i didn't take it as proper racism because the word only has power if you give it power that's how i was treating it but still it was i'll just say immaturity of the mind less hatred or races like less of that it was just like oh I, oh I, i said it i said it you know the only thing I would say that stemmed from the immaturity was, oh, you're black, let's play basketball. You know, like the stereotypes? Now that was heightened into a way that I had never experienced. It's like they never got exposure. So I was the answer for everything. It's like, yo, can you rap? It's like all of these things that are so stereotypically associated with being black. Now that, I m- must admit, that was, I think, the most annoying thing, if it was annoying. Other than that, like there was nothing else that I was feeling targeted by or something like that. So it was just the basketball, the rapping, and then when there was drugs, they'll be like, oh, Jeff, Jeff is down, he's black kind of thing, you know? It was like those kind of... And you just have to keep walking and because the moment I tried, there was one time I tried to tell somebody and he was just laughing, like, oh, you're joking, you're joking, you know? So I, I could see they ju- it just didn't click. After university, Jeff spent a few years working in Japan. To this day, he questions whether some of the remarks made behind his back were manifestations of racism. So, when I was working at this car company in Japan, it was a sales job. There was the the, the owner was Pakistan, manager Pakistan, and the sales team. Everything else but the sales team was Japanese, like the accountants, the whatever. But in the sales team, we had two Japanese people, female and male, two Pakistan, and one French guy. Then me. So the French guy. He was 30, whatever, but we would crack jokes. Like it was, we were going back and forth with each other. It wasn't no harmful intent. But in terms of work, I've heard sometimes 
either my manager who I told you is from Pakistan or another Pakistan guy just slip up a joke that sounds racist but it's hard okay let me just give you an example there's one time that I had to go take a photo of a car just in our parking lot and come back and I did it quickly apparently and then he was like oh look at this black beast like that's that's the comment but now is that racist there's a very fine line in, in terms of terms that associate you with the color and then how it's delivered so in working in japan i don't think i've experienced racism i don't think it was international how you saw we had a french guy pakistan japanese like and in that environment for me i in the very most simplest form is not liking or not accepting someone just because they're a different race not because of what they did or didn't do that's racism for me if they did something bad i don't care but if they've not done nothing and you're making judgment based solely that they're different in race that's racism jeff says his family never explicitly spoke about racism with him with the exception of one incident i've never spoken to my parents about racism because when it occurred to me the realization came years afterwards so in the moment i couldn't report it i couldn't fathom that it was racism not that it was anything harsh or bad but we've never had that conversation with my parents and i but for one incident it was my little brother in japan and it was i feel like it's the first time we even spoke as a family about racism like and we've been traveling a lot which is a planning flaw you know like we've never actually discussed it so this first incident my little brother was on the dining table complaining that his friend called him the n-word and my parents were in such an outrage because of our position we were alone in a in a country and now their son who is 10 years of age is experiencing something that he can't even understand or defend himself that's how their initial reaction was and i before this took place i questioned my little brother how it happened so i questioned him knowing him since we're brothers i said what did you say and he told me he gave the person an asian yellow slur a racist slur and what perspired from that is that i realized they were having an argument could have been about a pen or pencil anything and since they were kids they escalated it to the most extreme and hurtful messages that they could say and it wasn't the other kid who started the racial slur it was my little brother he's the first one who said the yellow remark and then the kid replied with the n word so with, with the conclusion of that i feel like racism is a perfect tool to hurt somebody you cannot be racist but you can use racism to hurt someone as for the example for my little brother and his friend they were just 10 years old but it escalated in racial slurs which they i'm sure at that time could have fathom what it meant or but they just they learned or they knew that was the worst thing you could say Jeff reflects upon the various ways he's been perceived and read by people in different countries particularly in Iran and Japan Iran holy snap like people will stare you down and not stop staring until their cars moved or something or this was now 1980 1998 1999 in Iran there no one said anything but you got the look and once again i don't know if it's, it's cuz we were in this embassy bubble and i was young so i couldn't like fully grasp the whole situation but i could just remember the stares you'd get 
and they won't stop staring. Even if you're staring back, they'll just stare at you. It's as if they've never seen you. And I was just like, damn. So now come to Japan. It was interesting because I felt the eyes, but I didn't fully see them. Like I would feel like I'm being watched. And then when I turn around or try to look, you might catch someone looking at you, but it wasn't that intensive investigation. Like, what are you doing here kind of thing? So that was my first uh, like first kind of vibe I got from Japan. Because when I first came, I just took the metros and I was just exploring. I was like, this is my birthplace. I need to feel something. So my family was mostly in the house. I used to leave before I was like enrolled in school, before any of that. There was like two months of just idleness. And that's when I was exploring places and everything. And even in the rural areas that I did go to, it was just a quick look and that's it. Jeff says that despite being looked at in different ways in different contexts, he considers himself privileged because he never felt scared of being black. It's kind of hard to say, but if it's Japan, looks is not that hard of a thing to deal with because you know it will never result in violence. Because, you know, depending on where you are, how long someone looks at you or studies you, it becomes a small void of danger that can occur. Because in some places, racism is just, like, people are scared. Like, I I can say I've never been scared being black. And that's, like, a, a privileged thing for me to say even, you know? Some people can't, like, live a normal life. At least I have had a life which was being teased because of racism. I want to say I had racism acts against me. There's a fine line in the intention of someone. And the hardest thing is to realize and to confirm someone's intentions. Because at the end of the day, people can just say whatever they say and they're like, oh, I didn't mean that. But you can never tell, which is the hardest part with racism in all forms and shapes, what the person is actually meaning to do. Does he want to hurt you? Is he saying he's joking? Is he lying or not? He or she. And that's the hardest part, to figure out what someone is trying to communicate to you. And most times, people just repeat what other people do. It's not necessarily that they're the ones who's bringing the vibe there. It's just like, oh, it's a habit? Okay. So some people fall into habits, and then they end up realizing they're low-key racist. That's how people like saying low-key racist, but I don't think hateful racism occurs that, that much anymore. Jeff shares what he thinks are the challenges in tackling racism, namely how deeply rooted racism is in society, something that has become more evident over the years through his own experiences. I feel like I've been racist because even up to like right now in this very, very moment, I'm sure I can find myself making fun of an Hispanic or an Asian out of a stereotypical joke and not think of it as a heavy issue. Which is totally wrong for me to have that kind of mindset, but it's just, it's the way racism has been taught. It's the way it's been portrayed. It's not seen as discrimination fully. It's, it's mostly just seeing this color against this color. Instead of, it could you can culturally like be racist to someone, you know? So it's, if I could say, I wish we were just all one people, cordial, together. Like, I can understand having races. I can understand the importance of it if you like narrow it down to teams and everything like how each country should be proud of themselves and proud of what they are and how they look like. I can understand races that but sometimes I feel like we shouldn't have borders but the way the world has developed 
Like there's so many factors that it's just not possible. Because even just to forgive, it's hard for a lot of people. People still carry on luggages of generational hate. It's not even theirs, but it's just... And let me try to explain further. What we see in the media, what they show in cartoons, and especially back in the day, the people in charge were giving these subliminal racist jokes. Or, you know, it it became like a normal fashion. People were like, oh, okay, he's wearing that jacket. Let me wear that jacket too, you know, kind of thing. Now, I don't know if sensitive is the right word. It's just we're more aware of what's going on. And I feel like racism will never die. It just changes form. I just feel like racism will always be there, whether it's speech, whether it's someone looking at you, that's what I mean by it'll just change form. It'll never disappear. So if you like confront somebody who keeps staring at you, now what will they do? They'll talk about you. You know, it just changes. That's what I mean by it just changes forms. And that's why some people think, okay, we've made progress. Not no many not people are not many people are saying the N-word, but now they're doing something else. Jeff is rather skeptical about the way forward, as many issues surrounding racism seem trivial or normalized in ways that could hinder sincere change. To be brutally honest, I really don't care because of how it's been affecting me. I haven't had something affect me in such a way that I have, like the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, the protests and stuff like that. I see that and I'm like, if I think about it, I can understand your frustration. But I'm not trying to be an activist. I have, this is going to sound so bad, but like I have no urge to fight for equality or just because of how it's happened in my life. It's never been that horrible. It's never been to the point where I'm crying myself at bed like, oh my gosh, I'm being treated like I've had it pretty okay. So in terms of, I feel like, okay, naturally, if someone close to me was being affected, I would for sure put in a shift. But I hate that it has to be in that kind of scenario. Like right now, for me, it's just a statistic on a, on a, on a newscast. You just read it, this many people died, you're like, okay. But you're not feeling it. That's why, what I feel about racism and how I'm not there. I know it's bad. I know my mind and, and everything. But it's just I have no honest urge to rectify things. I don't know if I'm having this perspective because I know how long of a battle it will be that you won't necessarily, when you start, you won't see the end anytime soon. Like, it's a constant struggle. And maybe that is what's demotivating me from being a part of trying to fix a situation. Because the most part is people need to be educated in the right way. And then it's just now how to engineer our minds into thinking we're together in this. I'm like, where do you start at what ages? Because, you know, sometimes... It's so tricky, it's just... Because now, what if you make a bunch of black activists from educating them on or whatever race it is? Because you know, it will persuade someone's mind. They'll be like, oh my gosh, these people grew up like this? Okay, I'm on their side. Which can be a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just human beings have so many variant levels of, of where they can turn out to be. So if we start introducing this kind of education, and it depends on how young of an age we want to introduce it, but let's say we find the perfect age, at this age they'll understand and respect each other. I can see it working, but I can see it not working at the same time if you have a bad teacher who is just spreading false. So it's, it's, there's so many ways it can totally ruin what we want to achieve. 
You can find more information about the history of Santa Claus and Black Peach, which Jeff referred to in this episode, as well as other articles, books, and videos he recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luke and Yue. Other music by Pete Morris, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Chef for his invaluable time in sharing with us important reflections on this issue. 